Alright folks, we're here. The Go Home Show for WrestleMania 2000. After that, is everybody back on the bus and hot on the road to Anaheim for WrestleMania 2000. One of the biggest clusterfucks in the year 2000. And if you've seen WCW at that time, that is fucking saying something. I am your usual host. You're talking about not only the Go Home Show, that final angle is meant to sell you on the biggest show of the year, but also a show that has the moment, the exact moment that women's wrestling was created. But more on that later on, even though you've probably seen the episode. If you've not watched this, Matt and just want to hear us talk about it, then more power to you. But joining me once again, a man who I think I had to bribe uh, to get back onto this episode after last week and the rant that we went on. That made that episode a good half an hour, 40 minutes longer than it probably needed to be. <laughs> Sam, again, how are you, man? Oh, I am so excited about the next two hours of conversation we're going to have. There's a reason why I already have a can of Guinness next to me half empty in preparation. I've decided, as opposed to last week, where I only started drinking in the main event, I'm going to start this event as I mean to go on. <laughs> That's what you got to do, man. You got to take the pain away. Take away the hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Fingers crossed it actually does something. And what better way to start off a discussion about a batshit Matt doing that's leading to a batshit WrestleMania with it? Wait, by talking about a batshit Monday Night Raw, which opens with a dramatic recap of uh, Linda's epic fall after her slap from Stephanie. And Linda McMahon opens Monday Night Raw because you want to start off hot, start as you mean to go on. She comes down and says, I want to apologize on behalf of the entire McMahon family and the WWF for my daughter Stephanie's actions. Yes, really, way. again, starting off hot. And she says, she calls out Stephanie to come to the ring and apologize to everybody for what she did. And it said, Vince comes out and you get the typical, well, that's not Stephanie McMahon. Like, Yes, no shit, JR. What would we do without you? And Vince comes out, and he's he, actually on the few times in the when Vince and Linda are in the ring together, that Vince actually looks like a good husband, and says how he's concerned about Linda leaving her duties as CEO of the WWF to come into the from one arena into an, an actual arena to manage McFoy to get herself involved here. Like I knew something like this would happen. If she knew Steffi something harm could come to you physically, actually seemed like he's actually concerned about her. And then he says, "But I side with you. I want our daughter to come out here and apologise for what she did." And then out comes Stephen McMahon acting like the, uh, an absolute bastard, <laughs> and as he's suited to be. And then she actually apologises to Celinda goes because I realised it wasn't you I wanted to slap. It was Vince. I wanted to slap you <laughs> and Vince. I know the word fanny means something different in America, but Vince, this line is so perfect. And in in my context, so good. I literally note it down, I think, word for word for however I can best remember it. Vince McMahon, angrily in his gravelly Vince McMahon voice, yelled at his daughter on live television, I'll blister your fanny till it's blue. Oh, fucking hell! Oh, God. That is not a line you expect to he- hear 
on Monday night unless it's after midnight and you're on the X channel. That is fucking wrong. (laughs) Now I want to go back and actually watch that episode just so I can see it actually happened. And you'll just get a message from me saying, oh, fuck, you weren't lying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I just, I know it's just one of those funny examples of like uh, the difference in the word fanny and everything, but still, it doesn't make it any more right uh, when you look at either meaning of the word. And then out comes Triple H to inquire what the hell did he marry into? Kind of like that Chandler in that one episode of Friends. But he talks about the need for a new regime in the WWF. He said how. He talks about how Vince and Linda are old, how he and Stephanie have been running things. And then out comes Shane, who looks like he actually might be turning face and siding with his parents. And he said he's absolutely disgusted at what Stephanie did on SmackDown. And then he says, like, but I do agree with one thing, he stands behind Vince. And it is time for a new regime, and he attacks his father from behind. He, Linda is very ineffective uh, when she tries to look like where he tries to seem like she's going to get Shane off of him, like, no, stop. Like, fucking Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka, stop, don't, come back. And uh, Vince gets beat up by Shane and Triple H. Uh, Rock comes out, Foley comes out for the big show. Triple H and Shane lay them all out to start the show. And then this leads to an interesting series of events across the show where Vince calls out Shane for a fight. Shane says no, and then she, uh, The Rock says he wants a piece of anybody on the roster. So Shane makes it him and Big Show against The Rock in a handicap match for the main event. And Vince is interviewed by him. What do you think of the of this handicap match? Because what, what handicap match? Oh, you mean the, the tag team match? Myself and The Rock against Shane and The Big Show. So Vince basically changes the main event. And then Stephanie times in and makes Triple H, the special guest referee for the main event. But then Linda won up and makes Nick Foley and also a guest referee in the match. God, that's, that basically sounds like the um, WWE equivalent of um, two children going back and forth saying, nah, you are. Nuh-uh, you are. Like, the complete lack of maturity in that was like, no, I'm going to have a referee. Well, that's my referee and that sort of thing. It's like, you could just imagine the writers being very happy, going like, oh, it's like building upon each other. It's like really good writing. And the only problem is, at that point, everyone's still too distracted about the amount of um, threats and attacks from behind that's been suggested by Fince and Shane during the previous segment. It's just, it's <laughs> absolute madness. And I think I saw a brief clip of the main event, and what I saw of it, I just went, oh... There's definitely stories behind that one. And you have given me those stories. And the context you give you gave me basically thinks, yep, is exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just nonsense. Like, essentially, this long, and I do mean long, opener, then the first match, then segment, and then basically from then on, it's match, a segment involving a McMahon, match, segment involving a man, match, segment, segment involving a man. And that's how it goes on for, to like, Triple H getting made, given the referee shirt by Stephanie. Then, then they go to commercial, they cut back, 
Stephanie and Triple H are still talking. You can't quite hear what they're saying, but Triple H is cutting the sleeves off of his referee shirt because we needed to see that. And then you have The Rock basically saying to, to Vince, he doesn't care that Vince has made it a tag team match and not a handicap match. He doesn't want a partner, doesn't need a partner. And I thought like the thing was, okay, Triple H is in the ring, but Foley's out of the ring, and eventually Foley will come in, be forced to come in because Triple H has been a dick. No, both in the ring at the same time. Remember when Shane and uh, Daniel Bryan were both referees in the ring at the same time in like 2017? Basically just as confusing, if not more so than that. It doesn't surprise me. And you know that trope I hate and the attitude there where basically you've got there's still one participant in a match to come out for the match to start anyway. And usually it's the Rock that's still to come out as well. So either they just guys just can't wait to have a match or the Rock just takes his time, his sweetheart's time coming to the ring. That happened here because as soon as Vince gets in the ring, Shane and Big Show are just on him. And then he tries to get out of the ring and then Triple H comes out and throws Vince back in the ring. And then the Rock immediately does his like big run down to the ring to help uh, Vince. And also it is smart by Shane and Big Show because you know, Vince isn't really a wrestler, so they're taking advantage of that. And Triple H is also showing bias towards the Rock. You know, he's trying to fast carry him and everything. And whenever Foley goes for a mega pin, Triple H breaks it up. And then eventually it all dissolves into a rod. You've seen in the opening video, like it was so much shit going on, I barely had a time to note much of it down. Foley does look in the mandible claw and big shot at one point. The rock scores a pin after a rock bottom. And then also, what's funny is sometimes on the episode of Raw, they show a thing called extra attitude, which basically it shows you what happened when that episode of Raw went off air. And so uh, on this particular occasion, Shane just conducts a bunch of extra moves. Rock does a wee promo. Shane gets back up. He apologizes to Shane and then hits him with another move. So first Shane got his ass kicked when that raw went off air. And like that 2000s crowd ate all the fuck up. To be fair, I can't blame them. I mean, we've been saying it for the last couple of weeks that Shane's been absolutely excellent at generating heat. Um, and is, he, is probably the only reason that Big Show is even still noticeable in the main event at the moment. But the idea of the crowd cheering on Finch so hard for beating the crap out of his son, it just seems so ridiculous. And it's going to be even more ironic in context if we get to WrestleMania 17. It's it's just, um, it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same when it comes to this family, basically. And I don't blame Triple H at all for retorting, we're sorting to saying, what kind of family did I marry into? The only difference (laughs) is, is that uh, unlike Chandler, um, he doesn't get as many laughs. But one thing from Ross should also explain is with uh, regarding Kane, Rikishi and the Dudley boys because instead of uh, the Triple H and Stephanie boring us to death in the ring, we actually opened SmackDown with a match and as Kane and Rikishi taking on the Dudley boys, what happened on Raw is basically Kane first destroyed Kurt Angle, despite Kurt Angle being six days away from defending two titles at WrestleMania. And Kurt Angle talks about Kane being called the big red retard and goes, now, I have a lot of retarded fans. <laughs> I completely understand. And then Kane comes out, basically destroys him. Angle hits him with a low ball, hits him with a belt, and he goes to walk away. Kane sits up, drags him back to the ring, hits him with a tomb slam and a tombstone. And then, later on in the night, we have X-Pac versus D1 Dudley. Robert would randomly set up a table, 
on the outside, you think, okay, immediately, I assumed that one of the Dudleys was going to go through that. But Nightfog ends up winning with the X Factor after some, some help from Road Dog. So, yeah, again, the tie team champions have also lost six days before WrestleMania. And then Kane comes out, and despite uh, Kane being after DX, and DX is like winning by nefarious means against uh, the Dudleys, the Dudleys had a 3D on Kane. Tori poses over Kane doing the suck it. Kane sits up trying to uh, hit her with the choke slam, and he gets low blowed. Uh, Road Dog randomly punches Paul Bear, and then the, the Dudleys grab Kane. Dudleys and DX grab Kane, throw him over the top through that tail that had been set up earlier. And now we have a match to start off SmackDown. If I realised that's what it would take to have SmackDown start off with a natural match, I think I'd have taken the fucking promo segment from the McMahons. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I will take SmackDown, like, starting off with a match, like, any day of the week. I know lots of the promo's going to come, but I'd rather it be later on in the show rather than take out the start of it, because it's just going to be pointless kind of exposition and everything. And... You know, I think it's also because I'm accustomed to Matt doing being the uh, the wrestling show, but it's not even considered that for another couple of years. Not even probably till the brand split happens. Which, interesting enough, Powell's an episode of Kurt Angle's new podcast, and he explains that part of the reason Matt doing was more wrestling based is because most of the time and effort from the writers during the original brand split went to Raw. So we basically the team working on Matt decided let's just have more matches and segments, and that's how that happened and. But, you know, what did you actually think of, like, Kane and Rikishi opening the show? Because while I said the Dudleys got a beat in, like, singles competition on Raw, it didn't get much better for them here. I think, actually, they got it worse in this tag team match. It, it, it's, it's good to see the event actually start off with a match. I, like, all joking aside, it's a great positive because it doesn't happen often enough. And if you're going to start off with a wrestling match, you probably aren't going to get much better than two of the biggest favorites at that time than Kane or Rikishi being involved. And having them come down to the ring is instantly going to G the crowd up, get them involved, and then you should have the energy, hopefully, to take you through the rest of the night. Um, which, when it comes to SmackDown tapings, is always really vital because it's you're probably always going to have lulls and that sort of thing that you wouldn't get on a live show on war, unless it's 2021 and it's three hours long. Um, but... <laughs> You know, they, they, it keeps the energy up for a show that's going to probably include lots of um, re-recordings and that sort of thing. And it's a it's a really good idea. Um, saying that, um, <sighs> choosing to have two tag teams face each other, neither of which really can afford to take a loss because Kane has been losing again and again and again all this lead up to WrestleMania for this tag team match with X-Pac and Road Dog, And it's a newly formed team and you're going to need Kane and Rikishi to get some momentum to have the crowd thinking, oh, they can actually win against X-Pac and Road Dog. But at the same time, you have your actual tag team champions being put into a match against them who also can't afford to lose because because they've been losing so much recently anyway. So it, it, they put themselves in a bit of a 
tough spot there by putting two teams who can't afford to lose at the moment against each other as the go-home match for supposedly your biggest event of the year. And they have to choose between their two big single stars or their tag team champions. And it's one of those where, unfortunately, I don't think either decision would have been correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I mean, because I said like, the Dudleys have one of the big, like, like, featured matches of their early, like, WF career coming up at WrestleMania. And okay, and it's setting up for this big blow-off with a uh, blow-off against X-Pac at WrestleMania, you know. If you want to give Kane and Rikishi a big dominant win, they start off SmackDown, you know, put them in with a loser team, you know, like Kainti or, you know, Head Cheese. Yeah, it's a, someone who can afford can afford to take the loss and it doesn't matter. I mean, you've got the Headbangers appearing on the show and Kainti both later on um, in just a segment. They could have been used in either one of these matches. The Dudley boys probably could have easily had gone the entire show with not featuring apart from like attacking their opponents because you're going to have to keep them relatively uh, well in preparation for this big ladder triangle match, which is going to be a huge event. But Kane and Rikishi could have done, could do with the victories in order to give themselves some legitimacy before they face X-Pac and Road Dogs. So it makes sense there. Um, so put them against like, Kayantai or Headbangers or a a tag team who have been there longer than two months but can afford to take the loss because they're not that big and important. But instead, they just decide we'll put two big teams against one another and then we're going to damage at least one of them because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's get to the actual match itself. You know, the Dudleys do the typical run to the right and start off the match. Kane lays in some punches. Uh, Rikishi goes for a stink face but gets pushed off and runs into a clothesline and then Rikishi gets worked over which is weird because you think of these two like Rikishi as a team with two monsters so it's weird to see either one of them get worked over but eventually Kane comes in I won't say like a house on fire because I don't think he's quite like that expression comes off with a diving clothesline double choke slam Rikishi hits the bonsai drop uh, Kane and Rikishi win yeah I know Kane's taken quite a few losses recently but You'd easily have had Xbox and Road Dog cost them uh, this match, and then so the Dudleys went by nefarious means, keeping them as the heels going into the big triangle match. Because you know Edge and Christian at the moment, as we'll get into later, are kind of big, or for the moment a bit of a tweener at before going fully heel. And the Hardys are the clear face, so like the Dudleys is a clear heel team. I think need to have some momentum on their side, and it's it's one of the few times where they got a clean finish where you could have actually had a DQ, and I wouldn't have been as annoyed about it, even though. Throughout the course of this retro review, you know, I've become really numb to the idea of a match just being thrown out. Having a match thrown out or um, ending like um, lazy means is one of my biggest bugbears. If you're going to have a wrestling match, I want it to have a winner to some degrees as often as possible. Um, I know it's probably good. It's probably not exactly the best time to mention it, but it's why I quite enjoy watching AEW Dynamite because hardly any t- anyone has ever lost by disqualification or countout, which makes it such a big deal if it does. Whereas watching WWE, any time two major teams or wrestlers face each other, I'm expecting it to end in terrible means. And this is one of those situations where even though I'd be expecting it, 
it could have actually worked to some degrees. Even, like, I'd go so far as to say that, in my mind, I could have imagined that X-Pac and World Dog run in, distract Kane and Rikishi, and Kane goes running after them. And that's mm. an either you end up with both Kane and Rikishi being counted out or Rikishi is by himself against the tag team champions. And that will, that will, you could have Kane come across as looking like he's, he's too emotionally involved um, about X-Pac and World Dog. And, he, and that could actually cost him at WrestleMania. You can have it that Rikishi gets hurt because he's already got his damaged ankle that's been ongoing for a little while, but he can at least look impressive battling by himself against two individuals who are tag team champions, so the loss wouldn't be that bad. And the Dudley boys are relatively given enough strength and legitimacy before the big match at WrestleMania that it's a positive. So you've got, ironically... It's one of the few times they should have gone to a normal like fallback option, and instead they went for a clean victory, and by doing so, basically ruined the momentum of a team that could not afford to to have it. It's it, it's it's amazing to see how forgotten the context of the Dudley Boys are when it comes to WrestleMania, because all you think to yourself is they're about to appear in one of the best tag team matches in WWE history. But you forget about the fact that they were pretty much jobbed out several weeks in the lead up because of how golden that match is going to be. And I really do hope it, it holds up when we watch it, but it is mildly depressing to start off a go, uh, go home show with a bad booking decision and a questionable finish. Yeah. Uh, actually, it would be nice actually if they open a show with DX using their influence to book Kane Rikishi and force them to go against Too Cool. Because then you got that uh, conflict with Rikishi. Like, being a competitor, he was able to eliminate them in the Rumble, but then it's a case of like, he maybe feels a bit hesitant because he's gotten to know them better in the months since, but then Kane doesn't care because he just likes destroying everybody and he's just thinking about WrestleMania. So, as a way of DX trying to stir shit between their WrestleMania opponents, but yeah, you like the W stand tall in a segment later on. And I think a win at the start of the show plus that would have really like helped cement them as a a, a threat going into WrestleMania. But yeah, enough, enough about actual wrestling because the DX Express arrives with uh, Triple H and Stephanie getting out of it. They get they're greeted by the rest of DX. And you think how the hell did the rest of the DX get there if they can't ride in the DX Express? Really, this is the Triple H and Stephanie Express. So, and Triple H and Stephanie come out to the ring. Triple H talks about why, what makes them the best, and why he why he calls himself the game, and how good he is. Because oh yeah, that damn good. I'll try to make that a thing. And they've also been teasing. Oh, there's rumors been circulating all day that uh, there could be a stipulation added to the Fatal Four Way at WrestleMania, which I may have been like, hmm. I don't remember there being any real simulation added to the Fatal 4 because I remember Linda already announced that it was elimination, which is the main gimmick of the match, other than the McMahons being in each corner. I'm like, oh, I wonder where this is going to go. Also, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, please don't add any more ridiculousness to this than there already is. And Vince comes out, and a big announcement is that he says, I don't know what you're thinking, Triple H. You, well, I think you can keep your title by way of a count-out. Or a disqualification. 
but he makes the four-way elimination match at WrestleMania. No disqualification. He must win by pinfall. The crowd bought the commentator sell it, and I'm sitting at home again. Huh? <laughs> I, I, I realise what you um what what the what you mean by that because um it's nowadays the expectation is always that uh, any multi-man match, a triple threat, fatal four-way, etc., is going to have it that it's pretty much no disqualification, no count-out, because the whole point is that you need a actual winner. But it feels like what we've actually just seen is the birth of that concept, which I do think is a little bit strange, because then that suggests that previous to this, wrestlers could have been disqualified and in a triple threat match or a fatal four way, at which point who actually would win the match, depending on the action that got them disqualified. And I feel like this was just an example where not only was it an opportunity to have a big pop, but to simplify things because too often the question becomes about, Oh, what, uh, what if they get themselves disqualified or they get counted out, etc., and that sort of thing. And, um, it, I get the idea. I get the idea. It just out because we're watching it 21 years later when we've become used to it. It's kind of like if we were to watch a 1990s WCW match and they still get disqualified by going over the top rope. It just to, it's just nonsensical and it just doesn't make sense at all. But what we're actually seeing is the bur- is the burgeoning creation of that. And I can I can kind of get why it would be a big pop now at the time. Um, and I'll be honest, I think they needed that big pop because up till that point in this match, I mean, obviously uh, we're in this segment, we've obviously we were nine minutes into the show, and we obviously had it that the Man Holmesy era hadn't yet appeared, so therefore we needed to rectify that. Yay! <laughs> and we get to have several minutes of Triple H saying he's that damn good. Yay. And then and then Vince McMahon appears. And the moment he appears, he injects some actual energy into the segment. Because up until that point, I felt like I was going to be start counting sheep just to try and stay the fuck awake. Um, <laughs> because it's the same bollocks again and again. But the moment that Vince comes out, injects that energy and comes up with this big announcement, which in retrospect, you're like, that should have always been the case anyway. But it's something that's so foreign to the fans of that day, that it is something for them to get in, involved in. And unfor- and the only problem is that they then follow it up with Triple H continuing to talk. <laughs> yeah, no, surely that's like the end of the, the segment, but sadly not. I mean, it has happened before, like things where they announced like multi-person matches, but you expect to be no DQ, uh, no DQ, and just make little easy thing like, well, of course it's fucking no DQ, I get what you're saying there. I think maybe they were trying to imply that before uh, the you could be eliminated by pinfall submission, disqualification, or counter, and they had to rectify that as simply pinfall. Triple H has to actually pin his opponents and can't just try and take the cheap way out. Mm-hmm. But even then, like as Triple H does, that, like explain quite, you know, rightly that he has won in no DQ match DQ uh, situations like twice against Mick Foley, as he mentioned, like. It'd be really weird if, he, if it was actually you could be eliminated by count because there's four guys at the start of it and surely they're all going to go to the outside so surely you wouldn't have to do a count out when there's more than 
like those three or four guys in the outside ones because then you're on the risk of your WrestleMania main event ended and all four guys getting counted out. So that would have been stupid. So even trying to play Dale's advocate and what they might have trying to do, it still doesn't make any fucking sense. And then I think it just gives more room for Triple H to talk about, oh, I, I retired Mick Foley, the king of the death match. I'm not afraid of an ODQ situation. So then Mick Foley can come out and help eject even more life and, into this segment. And he brings out his barbed wire uh, two by four saying like, I know before I said I wasn't going to bring any of my sharp metallic objects to WrestleMania. But you know, after what Triple H has said, and after everything you said to Linda, and whatever that happened on Raw, you know, you think he's going to bring it, and he says he's going to go all out at WrestleMania because he realizes, like, uh, no matter what happens to me and my body at WrestleMania, I don't have to go to work the next day, so I can leave it all out. Whereas Triple H has to deal with what the wounds that are inflicted upon him at WrestleMania, and then has to go to Raw the next night. Well, basically, he's talking about basically leaving it all out again because, as there been, we've been told a lot last week, and we were talking about for a good chunk of the podcast that. He's back for one night only, so you know what? It's just going to go out in true hardcore fashion because you know he's Mick Foley. Absolutely, um, I think um, the before Vince McMahon came out, the segment was dead pretty much, and it was uh, really boring. <laughs> but when by the time Foley comes out, the energy and enthusiasm and the emotion that's occurring in this in this segment is is getting you involved and wanting to watch it. And I would actually say that this is where Foley does some even better work than he did the previous week. Because the first thing is, is that yes, it's frustrating to hear Triple H always referencing the fact that he's already ran Foley out of the ring. But on the other hand, that's also a really good use of history in the story. It builds upon everything that's occurred in the last few months. And it really Help sell the idea of WrestleMania being the big climax, the big season finale, because this has been built up pretty much since the beginning of the year. If you if you legitimately looked at the Fatal Four Way, you could say this has been a story building since January the third when Triple H beat Big Show for the title, and ever since then it's been building up slowly to this point. Now, when Foley comes out. I, I, I love Triple H's reactions. I feel it's really underrated in this situation because he looks nervous. He looks uncertain. And you even have it that Triple H is scared when Foley unveils his famed barbed wire baseball bat. And that's, that's one of the things I love is that when Triple H was willing to show weakness, it really put over his, op- his opponent and made it better when he wins. And even the little details, such as like seeing Triple H hugging the championship close to him, that is a great use of body language. And I don't often compliment Triple H when it comes to these segments because when he speaks, he can be really boring. But when he's acting and using body language and building to something, he is actually, he actually is that damn good because mm-hmm. he, make, he makes Mick Foley seem like the most dangerous human being on the planet. And you're talking about a man who's been retired for several weeks, looks like he can barely walk and has to use weapons. And yet Triple H makes him seem like the most dangerous human being possible. Now, we still know at this point that Foley was always going to be, a, was always never going to win the championship. And it would have still felt unlikely when watching at the time, but the amount of effort that the WWF was doing to make everyone believe 
it's really good. It really makes up for some of the weaker writing that they've done in other set, other situations. And Foley's promo itself is fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic because he, he has that passion to sell the match. And his, and I really do believe that his inclusion has really added that injection of energy and importance and history and that sort of thing to the build-up. And when he was saying what you, what you mentioned about how he doesn't have to get up in the morning, he re- that's really saying to the people, anytime I used to wrestle, think of everything I used to do, knowing I had to get back up and do it again the next day. Now, it doesn't matter what I do as long as I win. And hmm. then that, re- that really feels like that last stand it would be like watching a film where the hero has basically said i've lost everything and all that matters is i take that villain down at the same time and this is really good work here and it's where it's where it becomes even more disappointing when you see the bad writing that's done or even like the bad booking literally 10 15 minutes beforehand with the dudley boys and kane rikishi where you're saying what why are they doing this decision? You don't watch this and you think this is what they're good at. And mm-hmm. they are selling this main event to something that you would want to watch. It's just, it's, it's frustrating when these great moments feel they need so much attention to them because you're so used to them doing it wrong. But yeah, I think Foley, Vince, Triple H, and I will even say Stephanie when she's doing the body language of selling the fear when Foley's describing what he's going to do. All four of them, I feel, deserve really good credit in the second half of this segment. The moment Foley comes out, this elevates another level, and all four, all of them are doing tremendous work, and they deserve credit for that. Yeah, I mean, Triple H sitting there, rightfully so, because the last time he saw that uh, barbed wire bat. He was it was on fire and they were on top of hell in a cell, so that's going to bring you some PTSD. Like <laughs> weeks earlier, and yeah, it's those little things with Triple H that you know that type of quality acting that gets you such quality roles as the Chaperone and Blade Trinity, you know, quality Oscar winning stuff. But for me, like the most pointless part of this segment was the include was having Seth even come out with Triple H, given that we're going to see far too much of Stephanie. Later on, so Triple H coming out by himself, maybe even with DX, to do this promo, and then Seth comes out on her own later on, would have made that maybe a bit better, because it was, like, it was a lot like, you know, the Triple H and Stephanie thing when the Star last week's Smackdown, only for Stephanie to come fucking back out at the end of the show. It just all it seemed to be like just more filler, just to get these people on screen. And we got backstage to Kurt Angle boring a poor Arena employee about this conspiracy against him and you know, having to defend the two titles at WrestleMania and then Big Show probably pulls him away for a chat that we don't get to hear probably Big Show just starts by saying did I tell you that I really won the Royal Rumble and, <laughs> oh, they, they would actually make a tremendous reboot of the Lone Gunman from the X-Files where they believe there's conspiracies everywhere you can have Big Show in a leather jacket and you can have Kurt Angle in a suit um, and all they need is some long, blonde-haired individual screaming about conspiracies. Oh, we can go back to Chris Jericho in a couple of years' time, and I think he'll fit perfectly. <laughs> Excellent. 
I can get Kurt Jericho now. But let me go into one of my favourite parts of the entire episode of SmackDown. And first, we go back to what was one of the best parts of Monday Night Raw. Uh, on Raw, it was meant to be Crash Holly versus uh, Hardcore for the Hardcore title. Uh, hardcore right being Crash for the title, but then multiple, literally multiple wrestlers like the Headbangers, uh, Viscera, uh, Taz, members of the Mean Street Posse are all come out to it, come out and interfere in the match. Each one of them bringing their own referee. Like the whole thing, they take this whole thing. You have to have a sanctioned referee a bit too literally because there's only so many referees, and like just use the referee that's already there. He's already sanctioned, and, you know. The title's already on the line, even though you're not part of the match. You can still use that referee, and so like there's all these people fighting over each other to try and get Crash and like pin him, and then Crash escapes, goes to the crowd, and then there's more people there, like the Mean Street Posse, waiting for him as he gets backstage. He manages to fight there because guys are pulling each other off the pin. And then he walks back to his friend with these kind eyes to remind you they're still employed. And he's like, they say, like, do you know how to get out of here? And they're both like, I'm assuming it's because they, and Kayfabe can't speak English and they're still like, I forget. And then they both look at Taka and Finaka look at each other. And then they attack Crash to try and get, so basically everybody was after Crash on on Raw to get the, the hardcore title. And now Crash is here defending it against Taz after a quick Taz flex. Uh, they brawl into the crowd where Vistler and the Headbanger show up. And Crash is struggling it once again to get away. All these people, basically, basically all these undercar people, all trying to take Crash up on this twenty-four-seven title thing. Crash is quickly regretting it. Oh, <laughs> uh, Joe! Every time Crash Holly appears, I instantly just seem to smile because <laughs> I know I'm about to see something ridiculous. Um, it's. I, I'm probably going to be mentioning body language quite a bit, I feel it this way, from uh, because of what I'm going to say next. But I always enjoy how when Crash is coming out and he's on the stage, he's always looking over his shoulder. He's always got that, you can really feel that paranoia within him. It's a, de- it's a really decent character detail that he's always looking behind, and I really like that. And um, I also feel that Taz obviously having come from an ECW background suits the hardcore division. So it always makes sense to me him being involved. It's just weird to think that he was brought in so highly in, in January and he had seemingly been primed ready to be in a feud with Kurt Angle, Benoit, Jericho, etc., for the European and the um, intercontinental title. And now he's almost been, unceremoniously shuffled into the hardcore division because that's um that's more his level but the sudden appearance of fissile in the headbangers <laughs> added such a feeling of hecticness to the match it's the sort of thing that really epitomizes this hardcore 24 7 championship and even the use of the camera work i remember when we were watching the fir- our first smackdown episode together and we had it that like um test and the mcmahons were running up there up the stairs and we were talking about that um handheld camera style which made it feel mm-hmm. more authentic and it wouldn't happen now uh, nowadays in the same situation the gorilla style camera work really adds to the situation like the fact that crash is scrabbling in between the trucks and the camera's like sort of like all over the place as well trying to follow it and it really gives that sense of Oh, this has just happened out of nowhere. Um, there was nobody was prepared for it, and it really builds up the situation. And I always love the fact that 
crash escaping every time is like the equivalent of a victory. Uh, like <laughs> everyone else is like their victory is that they get a pin or a submission. Crashes that he leaves that part of the <laughs> building with his title intact. So he has like 17 victories a day, and he, that's why he's such a brilliant champion. But at this point, I was enjoying this SmackDown and was smiling quite daftly, enjoying it. And the only question was whether or not it was going to continue um, before we go into the GTV segment of outtakes from referee to pussycat with love. <laughs> I, I, I should mention before that they show a clip of like during the commercial break because this hardcore title stuff continues multiple times throughout the night. Where during the commercial break out in the parking lot, you see Vista and the headbangers and hardcore all looking for Crash, and Crash is then showing Heisen in the and somewhere in the parking lot area, and surely, surely also in terms of keeping, if you're a wrestler and you see one of the camera and randomly point his camera at something and not on you guys, you think, huh, wonder what he's pointing that camera at, maybe he's found Crash, but they don't think that, they only alerted to it after the noise of the Mean Street Posse trying to attack Crash with their own referee, and then Crash then manages to escape once again as, as the horde of people chasing him is getting larger, but yeah, GTV, what was once a rumor to be like a way to bring Goldust back to TV and be interested in storyline. It's now just being used as a way to continue this whole the cat and Terry rivalry because we had a segment on Raw of GTV of a uh, Miller randomly associated with Terry, and then they got into a thing with uh, the cat backstage, and there was a bit of a brawl. And then Mae Young came in, she tried to attack Miller, so now basically they're establishing that Terry. We'll have Mill in her corner, and Mae Young will be in the Cats corner. And uh, at the previous week's Sunday Night Heat is where the official challenge for the Cat fight was laid out. And apparently Val Venus is going to be the best guest referee because he thought, ah, who needs to have a match at the biggest show of the year? I can just be a referee and watch two women roll around because that's what I do. And then the Cat basically comes in and tries to say, oh, I wouldn't do anything to you know, try and influence your you know, position. And I, uh, your decision in the in the match, and then basically she tries to sleep with Val Venus. He leans in to get on top of her, and then that's when the camera's cut. And I just remember thinking, like, hmm, I wonder her getting into the company was probably a very similar discussion, but the role of Val Venus was played by Jerry Lawler. Yes, but unfortunately that takes it from an outtake of um, a porno that gets sold in the back lo- lobby of a hotel to... Really creepy. Uh, not going to lie. Um, this is. It unbe- turns it into exhibit A in their divorce trial. <laughs> it's just like yes. Uh, I'd like. I'd like to exhibit A to seventeen um, because we <laughs> went through the entire alphabet and had to start on numbers in terms of demonstrating why I can no longer be married to this man. Um, what's I had a slightly depressing moment during this match uh, during this segment. I have to admit because I actually remember being at my aunt's and my un- my aunt and uncle's when i in uh, at this time for on a sunday and i sneaked off for an hour to watch sunday night heat because i was that addicted to wrestling sad i know and i remember <laughs> miss kitty being in the ring making that challenge to terry about a cat fight at WrestleMania because I I always remember that Terry's response was basically to tear uh, Miss Kitty's grey jumper in half. 
And it, I, I was like a 10-year-old boy watching two women talking about a cat fight. And to be honest, I'm, no, I'm not surprised about how strange I grew up to be because of it. <laughs> uh, just, like, that's the moment you don't want the, uh, the family to walk in, you know, because I've got a friend, uh, David Campbell, he was on the Armageddon 99 review as part of the series, who is regardless of the time his grandfather walked in while he was watching an episode of Raw that happened to be during the uh, Age Leader 6 celebration, which is a really difficult thing to explain. That's just wrestling. But it also it sounds like what a parent would say when their chair walks in, they claim they were just wrestling. But the Hardys are next for commentary Rising Christians match coming up next. And this is really interesting, like what's the development between the Hardys and the uh, Edge and Christian, because Edge and Christian were on commentary for the Hardys match against Z Malenko and Paris Saturn from Raw. And they showed from Sunday Night Heat an uh, uh, interview between Edge and Christian and the Hardys talking about the upcoming matchup with me. And they were showing some real like, tension between the two. And Edge and Christian were very angry at the Hardys, saying that they're two of the most selfish like, guys in the company and saying that how everybody talks about them and the beating, them beating Edge and Christian in the line. It's like, how many times we beat you? You guys were in plaid tights before you wrestled us. And then the other matches on... Uh, Sunday night he, uh, they cost the Hardys a match against Kai and then the Hardys cost and Christian a match against Jericho and Taz randomly and Edge uh, and Christian are on commentary they're actually they come off quite good quite, good, quite uh, charismatic uh, Christian pulls Saturn out of the way of a swanton bomb and then Ed sneaks in Spears Edge uh, and the Radicals do their tiger, kick, tiger suplex with a sidekick kind of combination we've seen before so it's quite cool and then it's just going to show the Hardys were good at uh, popping the crowd, which is why they were over. Edge and Christian took care of the more personality parts of their feeds. And that is indicated by the fact that, you know, they sit down on Gordon and he goes, oh, you guys are going to join us for the big match. And just like, yeah, big match. And this instantly took me back to me rightfully flagging them off at the on a Rumble review, just like the terror and now. It's like, <laughs> good Lord, guys, like... Matt Hardy would have got better by the time he gets to like version one, but Jeff, I don't think Jeff ever got any better at cutting promos. It's quite possible that Jeff Hardy just stayed exactly the same as it goes. I was quite surprised actually that Jeff Hardy led the led the um, promos during the segment. Like I don't think I remember Matt Hardy actually saying a single word during this match. Um, but I do agree with you when it says that. The Hardys are very good at getting the crowd behind them because they're entertaining, they're good-looking, and they have that um, high-flying daredevil attitude, whereas Edge and Christian have that tremendous personality and flow to their wrestling that helps build the matchup quite well and make them easy to hate. And it doesn't surprise me to hear that Edge and Christian were very good on commentary. Um, I can... Whilst they were obviously not at the stage that they were at their best yet, considering that they're only a couple of months away from um, talking about the benefits of flash photography, um, (laughs) they always had it in them. And it just feels like they needed to be given that opportunity. And up until, I would say, up until No Way Out, they were relatively forgettable. Um, in in terms of like everyone else, it was only really their ladder match in there uh, at No Mercy ninety nine and their work with Gangrel that gave them characters and interesting personalities. And ever since, 
Edge speared Terry and had it that he did the little horny she-devil piss take, they now are suddenly <laughs> appearing on commentary and they're having their characters appear a little more. And it, it was like I said to you, I really hope they know, the writers noticed the mm-hmm. potential that they both had and now it's being demonstrated. And they are just, they use the little moments really well, I feel, whereas the Hardys are better at using the big moments. So mm-hmm. they're, very, they're not as good when they're on the promos, not as good uh, when they're on commentary, not as smooth, but the build, when it comes to the climax of the matches and that sort of thing, they yeah. are as good as anyone in the business. Yeah, 100%. Outcome, Xbox and Road Dog, Edge and Christian's opponents for this match, out to the run DMC music, the King of Rock, what, the King of Rock, boom. And, you know, it's basically the same as, like, typical Edge and Christian matches while well, there are faces and they're kind of leaning away from the, the face dynamic. Uh, Christian gets kind of worked over, he gets crouched on the top rope, it's got a spin kick by X-Pot. Uh, eventually it manages to hit a reverse DDT, the referee does get knocked out, and the Hardys then decide to get involved with a twist of fate on Christian, a swanton ball, and the referee isn't knocked out, he's just somehow weirdly distracted, I think, by Tori, so he's clearly deaf as we've talked about before, and then Rodog just rolled over onto Edge. Uh, I can't remember if it was Edge or Christian, but Rodog has rolled over onto the cover, and now that's two out of three uh, teams in this triangle ladder match lost, but at least this time this was a storyline, you know, plot point with the Hardys getting back at Edge and Christian for what happened you know, on Monday Night Raw. And I do love, like, again, they're obviously budding up to whoever joins for contact, because he says to them... Uh, because early in the night when they does wrestling, he said that they were his favourite to win the triangle ladder match, and then he says, "Now you guys are my all-time favourite to win that ladder match." And then Google goes, "Well, it's like you said the Dudleys earlier on were your favourite." Like I didn't say that. And it's the Hardys, and like yeah, they got no chance on Sunday. Like you just told them they were your favourite. I never said that. <laughs> oh God, I'm not even surprised to be honest. <laughs> it's uh, completely in character for that. Um, as I've as I've said before. Um, it is, it is strange that, yet again, it's it's another match where a tag team involved in the tag team championship match loses. But it is also the fact that this one does make a little bit more sense with the Hardy Boys interfering, which makes it almost that much more frustrating that they couldn't do that for the first match to protect the champions, but they could do it in this match to protect Edge and Christian um, in comparison, which to me sounds quite daft. Um, and it also frustrates me a little bit that it's X-Pac and Road Dog who get the victory um, because they're probably the tag team that needs the victory the least, I would say, because mm-hmm. they've been kept strong for so long at this rate to the point of ad nauseum. You're expecting, like, you get the feeling that if they actually lost a match that the um, writers would self-combust or something. Um, <laughs> it's just... It's just a frustration of daftness, really. But um, I can at least take I can at least take the positives of the fact that they lost in a way that protected them, and it made sense and it actually built to WrestleMania as opposed to just oh we'll put these two together and one of them will lose. Yeah, uh, Matt, I said on commentary didn't really add much. One thing I, I did note he said was. Responded to Edge and Christian's claims that the Hardys are arrogant and as they all did on their road trips together with Ed and Christian would always talk about themselves 
Uh, Matt says a lot of people confuse confidence for arrogance, and that's the only real line I picked up from him. But we got backstage to Mick Foley, basically offering to be in the Rock's corner for his match uh, against Kurt Angle, because he knows that Big Show was talking to Kurt earlier, so uh, Big Show or Triple H will try to get involved and cause some shenanigans. And the Rock says he doesn't want help. And weirdly, that Mick Foley takes that advice a bit too seriously. Because in the preceding match, he does not get involved whatsoever. Like, Vince gets more involved in what's about to happen than he does. And I mentioned that time, I can't remember if you were on this episode, but there was an episode where Mick Foley was told to kind of leave the arena by, like, Stephanie. I think it was an early 2000 where Stephanie told Mick Foley to leave the arena. And then he did. And we didn't see him for the rest of the year. He was going to come back in, like, a closing segment. But no, he just left, so... Maybe Mick Foley's taking this one night only thing seriously, like, ah, oh, fuck you, Rock, I'm not going to come help you, I've got, you know, I go on top on Sunday. <sighs> to me, it actually makes a bit of sense to me, um, I have to admit, because there is so much history to these two wrestlers, and it's a very fought history to some degree. So I know that the majority of the last couple of months, what we've seen is them helping each other, but there's always been this rivalry between them as well and there's always been these issues between them and the thing is is that Mick Foley to some to some degrees is meant as a man of honor who will offer and say I will help you but he's had so many times where the rock has said no that considering that this could be his last opportunity to be champion at Wrestlemania it kind of makes sense to me that he would turn around and say, all right, say no more and just walks away. Like he's gone, I'm offering to help you. And you're just, and you're just doing the usual thing where you say no. And it's like, well, guess what rock here are the repercussions of your actions. I'm not going to come and help you. And this, and it's kind of like Mick Foley saying, you need to realize that if you say that it is going to happen. And eventually you're going to end up, getting really hurt because of it you need to be i can offer you help but i can't force you to have it and i'm not going to go out of my way because let's say mick foley could have had it he did come down and help out but considering it's going to be all four men against each other how does he know if he does that the rock won't just turn around and rock bottom him so Mm -hmm. the character the history between the two the characters of the two and the build-up to WrestleMania and the importance of it, all of that combines to have it that I do feel to some degrees it does make sense. And I think the very emphatic ending of where Mick Foley just says, say no more, is him basically wiping his hands of the situation. He's offering mm-hmm. to help. He's been told no. And so he, that's it. He's walking away and he's not going to bother because... You can you can offer to take a horse to water, but you can't force it, and you can't force it to drink. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to me. Yeah, let me get the rock taking on Kurt Angle. Uh, Angle, as he's walking to the ring, gives all his young fans around the world permission to stay up late and watch WrestleMania and watch the Olympic U retain his European and Intercontinental titles. Just uh, as the match is starting, Big Show comes out with Shane, and then Triple H comes out to the ring. Uh, luckily, they kept they just walk down and they don't have them play their full music because you know, basically with Stephanie, which you're going to do later on, I've heard enough of my time on this show. And the uh, angle uses the distraction of the rock uh, 
looking at Big Show and Triple H to take advantage early on. This is one of the few matches gets a lot of like decent time and angle. To be fair, gets a lot of offense in on the Rock during this match, and a lot more than I think he got on Kane on the previous row. And the uh, Rock leads in with punches, but then they start coming back, but then Angle immediately shuts that down and throws him overhead with a really impressive belly-to-belly suplex. Uh, you have Shane taking cheap shots, then the referee gets distracted, Big Show comes in and choke slams the Rock. Referee clearly can't feel the vibrations of that. And then Angle goes to the cover after the choke slam. Rock kicks out and away to say, fuck you, Big Show, you're not winning on Sunday. <laughs> Rock comes back with a rock bottom for the win. So then immediately the heels are on him. Then not McFoley, Vince comes to save the Rock, hitting Triple H with a chair, hits the Big Show with a chair, and then Shane just leaps into frame, hitting his dad and Triple H with the WAF title, and then hands it to Big Show. Big Show releases up the title as the crowd boos. And goes, Could this be what we see at the end of the Fatal 4 at WrestleMania, and then I felt the great disturbance. The thousand voices cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. <laughs> uh, the possibility that this might be their future. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, uh, this, this is basically a last-minute opportunity to try and make everyone think, ooh, sh- Big Show might win. No, nah, he's not. Um, <laughs> um, first of all, I'm glad that they changed the Rock's theme back already uh, because... It's instantly better than Method Man's from the previous week, um, which is still haunting my um, musical ears for how awful it is. Um, the rock- I, mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't listen back to this podcast because I'm using it as the outro. I don't care what you say. Oh, I am the editor. Fuck- I have the power. Oh, for fuck's sake. Wait, didn't you say there was another one that you recommend was even better on WWF Aggression? Yeah, the game theme, but I was saving that for WrestleMania. Save the best for Mania. See, I feel, I feel really at WrestleMania, you should have Linda McMahon's music just because that's the WrestleMania theme song. I could, but I think I've already used hers. I think, I can't remember. I think I've used hers in a podcast recently. And also, I don't want to. <laughs> uh, well, if it, what about bringing back the best theme song ever? And that is when you got all of Billy Gunn's musical entrances and put them together. Because that is still, I feel, the best thing you've ever done. And I wanna I wanna see I wanna hear that more often. Uh, I, I am the I am the one ass man. It'll be amazing. It, it, he's not even appearing on WrestleMania, but that's how much we miss him. We miss our boy, Mr. Gunn, Billy of the Gun. Bad of the ass, you know. We need, we need, we need, we need to remember him just one once and only. So um, we should go for that one. But anyway, you know, going back, going back, going back, going back. So, um, so of course, it's interesting that to see Triple H, Stephanie, Shane, and Big Show all come out to watch the match, considering us knowing the history that Kurt Angle is going to develop with all four of them. Um, I find, I, I have to admit, I kind of like that. And I have a little head cannon that this is the moment where Stephanie went, oh, it's not too bad, actually, and that sort of thing. And this is where it all begins. But um, I love the fact that Angle already looks so smooth in the ring. I, you mentioned about the overhead belly-to-belly suplex, and I even made a note of that as well. And I just said it was it was a gorgeous um, suplex. And... I, you can see already the great blending styles between them. Like the Rock is very much a main event brawler type who uh, can get the crowd in, invigorated and involved. And he 
utilizes every moment really well, whereas Kurt Angle has that technical smoothness. And the and allowing the two of them to to wrestle, they blend it so well because you have two really good sellers as well who can put the other one over, and they neither of them are selfish. So this feels like a real hint to the possibilities we're going to see over the next year or so of the tremendous work they can do together. Um, and obviously, seeing Shane and Big Show attacking, it's very clever. It ties back to the conversations Angle had earlier on with Big Show. Um, once they got over their conspiracy theories together, uh, both of <laughs> them stood determined that it is flat Earth, but we have yet to find out. Um, I even love the uh, love it when The Rock uses the tilt well power slam because it's not a move he busts out very often. It's one that he he will do on very rare occasions, I feel. And that, again, hints at the potential between the two that Kurt Angle challenges The Rock to the point that The Rock has to add more moves to his repertoire in order to be able to beat him. And Kurt Angle comes across really well in this match. Um, And, you know, fair play, because he is already demonstrating that he can be trusted in that position. You notice that The Rock kicked out of the Big Show's chokeslam, that is definitely suggesting that the Big Show hasn't got much chance at WrestleMania. So they obviously make up with it by having him hold the title up afterwards. But I would actually say that this was a good match for SmackDown, considering SmackDown at this time wasn't the wrestling show. Like you mentioned earlier on, it's really in the later years it becomes the wrestling show. And this is a really good example of that because of the fact that this is a match that in three to four years would probably be quite average on SmackDown. But at this time is absolutely fantastic to watch and it's a it's very fast paced it's tremendous heat from the crowd um and anger and rock just have this tremendous chemistry together and i mm. i i'm uh, this is uh, by this point there have been like several segments and and, ma- and matches in a row that i was thinking to myself i'm enjoying this episode of smackdown um it's going really well um and i do think that I was actually quite impressed by how quickly Vince got to the ring to help out. And that really puts over how much Vince is putting behind the rock. And it really adds to the story and gives it that little couple of extra wrinkles. And um, in retrospect, it becomes even more fascinating when we see what happens um, over the next couple of shows. But this, this to, to this point was probably the highlight of the show um, and the pressure was slightly on to see whether they can better it as they go along. Um, as we see over the next couple of shows, hold on, pal. Again, slow your roll. You're not out of the woods just yet. <laughs> but I, I do get with you now. Even though The Rock isn't talked about in terms of like great workers as much as he is about great promos or great like characters, Rock it struggles to have bad matches with most people. Like, there's a few people that he doesn't have like good chemistry of like. I remember when they tried to get Val Venus, or there was an episode of Madden that was main event with the Rock v Val Venus, and that sucked. And clearly, the, the, Val Venus didn't mesh with people like the Rock. Uh, Big Show and Rock is like hit or miss, but most people like Jericho, Austin, Triple H, Angle, like, uh, yeah, Rock manages to have great matches with. And you know, the way Vince quickly got to the ring, you know, that type of physical exertion, you can't keep that up at his age. That's how you end up tearing both quads at the one time. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 have, I have no idea what reference you could be possibly making there because I'm pretty sure that Vince McMahon has banned any mention of it. Um, <laughs> so I, I have no idea what you're on about. I might have to rewatch it again. <laughs> but but overall, overall, a strong statement to get a build to like the uh, the fatal four way. 
weird that it was randomly in the middle of your rather than the end. But then we go into the next match after we come back from commercial. It's Eddie Guerrero taking on Chris Jericho. And then Eddie Guerrero gets to get on the microphone. He's accompanied by Chris Benoit. He gets on the mic and gets to show a little bit of that Eddie Guerrero charisma. Because uh, he, alongside Malenko and Samway, facing China and too cool at WrestleMania. And then he says, like, hey, Jericho, I'm, I'm really excited to wrestle you. But I'm really excited to get to wrestle China at WrestleMania. And I mean really, really excited. And he, uh, he goes, I know you are too. And he says, you know, and this is the first time Eddie Guerrero refers to China as Mamacita, which is a very important moment indeed. And despite Eddie finally getting Bailey wrestle again after his injury, it's very one-sided in favour of Jericho. And Jericho hits the bulldog, gets his kind of powerball, and then he hits him back and hits him with another powerball. He didn't use that very often. Uh, Benoit gets on the apron, and, and Jericho drop kicks him with the net lines. Eddie briefly take control, but then eventually a hurricane rise countered into the walls of Jericho. Benoit comes in and gets a, a bit of a, a DQ, and Jericho, uh, China chases Eddie Guerrero away, again built into that six-person tag match at WrestleMania. And Angle then comes in, hits Olympic Slam on Benoit, and hits Jericho as well. And, you know, I was a bit concerned, you know, Angle's kind of been used to help put over the, the Fatal 4 after he lost the Rock, because immediately it was all about Big Show, Triple H, Rock, and the McMahons, but then Angle's managed to come back out here and, like, take advantage of his opponents attacking each other and just sitting with the Olympic Slam, like, here, there's a reason I'm the guy with the two titles. <laughs> Oh, Zika is so smooth. I, I love that man. Um, this is a bit we'll start of a from that bottom very quickly, though. So it does. It doesn't matter what what he does. He'll just make the next one even better. I promise you. Um, it's um, this one is a bit of a strange match. Um, mm-hmm. It's another match where China comes out with her own entrance just to accompany Jericho. Um, she and she feels like she's been weirdly sidelined in the build-up to WrestleMania so far. Like um, I, I can't I can't remember whether it was um, my I think it was last week when we were discussing it about the fact that she didn't come out to help Rikishi and Kane when they were being attacked, and then she only seems to appear when she's next to Jericho, and even then that's just to shoot a couple of guns and then stand outside looking intimidating. It feels like she's almost regressed over the last couple of months, which is really very strange, especially considering she's supposed to have such an important match. Um, Eddie's promo is is pretty good. It's, a, it's an early indication of his charisma and the connection he can get. And he's just... Oh, she, Eddie just do, is just the sort of guy that you can't help but love. Um, like, it did... I. I didn't appreciate it back at the time, but getting to rewatch him during this stage of his career and in the lead up to Latino heat um, is where I really get to appreciate it. Um, considering the ability of both men, it's so disappointing that the match ends within two minutes. You, there was so much possibility that could have occurred with the two of them. You could have gotten a really good actual match here, but it's again a situation where the, matches secondary to the storylines such as China and Eddie and Angle Jer- Jericho Benoit. Um it's it does its purpose but it is I think the main issue is that unfortunately it's a case of what could have been. 
100%, because Jericho and Eddie, while they've been impressive characters in the likes of ECW or WCW, in terms of the WWF, you don't actually think of them as a combination that goes together often, you know, especially like later on in the 2000s, like where Eddie was mostly a, a SmackDown guy when Jericho had been over on Raw. This is a real rare opportunity in the WWF to see these two kind of go at it. But who cares about wrestling and legends like Eddie Guerrero? Because out comes Stephanie McMahon with a fan letter from someone called Donna, who had this overly complimentary letter towards Stephanie saying about how, you know, how much her and her girlfriend in college or what if you just like her, how she's jealous that she's married to Triple H and how handsome he is and all, all the other crap. Uh, as Sam chugged down that extra can of Guinness. Uh, then Vince comes out and he says, you know, I might still be a little woozy from that belt shot earlier on, but I'm still wondering, Stephanie, how long did you spend last night writing that letter to yourself? <laughs> With the crowd popped for. And then before you can say anything, Linda comes in, clearly not standing close enough to the mic, you can just barely hear her. He's saying to her, like, Vince, this all has started because of your actions. I need you to, to your role as the patriarch of this family. You need to make this right. You need to help bring this family back together. You got to make this right. Everything like what the hell did he do? And I was like, oh yeah, Stephanie revealed after Armageddon that she started plotting against her father after it was revealed that he was the one behind the whole higher power and Undertaker abducting her and everything. So she then put this plot into revenge by going with Triple H, the guy that she, guy that Vince hated. So. Yeah, in a roundabout way, it is all kind of Vince's fault. And then Vince starts talking, and then there's a bit of a pause. He goes, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right at WrestleMania. And you got to really watch this closely. There's a little bit where the guest slice the mail on Vince's face. He gives a bit of a side eye, which that just speaks up alone. You'd have the voice of Boris Karloff over it saying, Then he got an idea. An awful idea. Vince got a wonderfully awful idea. And then he decides to book for tonight. Stephanie is going to compete at her first ever wrestling match. It's a crowd pop for because they want to see Stephanie get her comeuppance. And you're going to take on Jackie. And uh, Jacqueline is going to face Stephanie McMahon. They don't announce it's for the one sale, but it's made official later on that it is for the title. And weirdly, that announcement with a crowd popping for it, and then all are concerningly going, no, but Jackie will tear her apart. That weirdly got Jacqueline more over in a few seconds than our last couple of TV title defences have done against like Lee and Ivory. It's amazing how the moment you have a match that actually has something worthwhile attached to it, that people learn to care. It's, it's, um, it's, this is a very painful segment with Stephanie to start off with, to the point that I'm pretty sure I might have blacked out in order to save myself through the pain. Um, thankfully, Vince, like he's been doing quite often, I, I, he really does deserve credit for the last couple of weeks ever since he's come back, keeps on saving these brilliant segments in that he is really good on promos. He is fantastic. Um, he was a terrible commentator, but when you put him on a microphone, having to choose someone out, he is fantastic. And it's great to see that he, uh, he deservedly, um, is, is going to get Stephanie punished for slapping Linda and putting her into a match. But after Linda's plea, there's a lot of this that takes an interesting 
um, new context to it. His, his line about saying that he'll fix this at WrestleMania, the fact that he originally he books the match with Jackie, but then later on they reveal it's for the title, almost like it was decided later on. There's a lot of interesting um, developments that occur from this segment, and you can really feel the importance of this segment. But um, that the fact that the best response the fan letter had was Finn's ripping it to shreds says everything about how much bollocks that was. Um, <laughs> it, at this rate, Finn's has saved more segments tonight than I think um, Dr. House saves in a season. It's fucking <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> totally, because uh, there's a moment here that when they get paid off at WrestleMania and a good or annoying way, depending on your perspective, which I and maybe Sam, if he plays his cards right, will be talking about uh, to come. And, you know, there's just that moment. It, it gives it more, more context here than if you just watch WrestleMania 2000 in isolation. Yeah, and the fact that later on it's added that the women's table's on the line. It's been decided and you wonder, like, why was this decided? And then how it all turns out is very similar to with Vince being involved, like, when they randomly announced that Rock Austin would be no degree right before the match, and then Vince gets the ball to help Austin with the help of a chair win the match. So, you know, all the nefariousness coming together and what, how long has this been planned? And we go into a couple of segments after this. One terrible, but it's all set by a moment of pure gold. We have GTVs back, which is it's just amazing how scheduled these GTV things look and not at all random anymore. Where now Val is in bed with Terry Reynolds, and she again says she wouldn't want to influence his decision. Well, but he's at all on, and he says to this whole thing is basically so he can do one of his porn star puns. He goes, Well, you know, Terry, foreplay, I mean, fair play is my middle name, which is why that character never took off Val, fair play, Venus did not have a did not roll off the tongue of the ring announcer. And so. No, no, I was just going to say, you are completely correct. Um, that's going to roll off the tongue as well as um, pretty much any Jeff Hardy promo before a Royal Rumble Tables match. So It rolls, it rolls off as naturally as the horror show at Extreme Rules or a WrestleMania backlash. But we go in, that's going to definitely age this episode of people listening back to it in however many years. But Crash Holly, still getting away from people chasing after his horror tale, stumbles into the AP's office still goes through the door and stumbles onto the table, knocking the cards and the beer over while Kai and Tyre played the AP, and then gets a bottle smashed over on the AP and that get involved in the fight. Everybody would think the exception of Taz who goes around it all go through the door, so they all were very respectful. I'm sure they wiped their feet as well before they went in. <laughs> and everybody brawls, they chase, crash out to the ring, crash, grabs the ring, like, look, enough, enough. Like, this whole 24 7 thing is killing me. I can't eat, I can't sleep, people are attacking me at the airport, all over the place. I'm done. Let me we'll suspend the 24 7 rule until WrestleMania so I can get some sleep. But at WrestleMania, we'll have a hardcore battle royal 15 minutes. Whoever's the champion at the end of 15 minutes, whoever gets the last fall by the end of 15 minutes is the champion. And hardcore accepts on behalf of everybody. They says, but Crash, with this thing between you and me, it's personal. And he gets him one more cheap shot on his cousin who then runs away. And that's how we get. You know, I was going to say, to call it a clusterfuck on a clusterfuck of a card is just, it's just an understatement, I think. <sighs> where where the fuck do you start? Um, so, 
I mean, I like you. I love the fact that Crash actually opens the door to the APA's office rather than walk around. Um, it just it it almost feels like it's a magical door that you can't walk around, and if you do, no, uh, if you do try it, that nobody will respond to you. Um, it says something when Crash is getting attacked by Kyantai. You know, APA you expect, but Kyantai not so much. Um, the the Hardcore Championship Battle Royal does sound like a fun idea to some degrees. It's kind of like a provisional scramble match that would come in prominence. I think it's about 2009 where you could end up having the Brian Kendrick as the world champion and that sort of thing. Um, but I will say that the that when he says about the 15 minutes time limit, I do start having a little bit of an issue in regards to that one because that sort of takes away from the whole point of the 24-7 championship, which I understand he needs to eat, he needs to sleep. From the sounds of it, he doesn't need to worry about having a shit because he still gets away with that because he didn't mention that. Um, <laughs> although now I've got a horrendous image of um, Kai and Ty sneaking up on top of the toilet so they can try to pin him as he falls asleep. But anyway, moving on. Um, Hardcore Holly saying that this between them is personal is like the biggest load of bollocks I think I've ever heard in my mm. life. That's about that's about as believable as Stephanie's fucking fan letter. You know, he's like there is no issue between them apart from the fact that Hardcore is jealous, and that is literally it. Um, the fact that Crash hasn't betrayed Hardcore, Crash hasn't done anything to him. Hardcore Holly has decided he wants the title. He's attacked his cousin, and it hasn't worked. And now, supposedly, that's personal. Well, now, whether that's a, them trying to actually input a feeling of um, story to it, so that there, there's an actual emotional edge to it, I don't know. But all I could think of is that when that comes out, my bullshit meter just starts playing off. Um, like it's Scott Steiner's entrance theme. It's um, <laughs> it's the in my in my mind the only way that this shit could be personal is the fact that when Hardcore Holly and Crash Holly come out together, everyone loves Crash Holly because he's um Elroy Jetson of the freaking Hardcore division, and people still don't give a shit about Hardcore Holly regardless of what he does. He's about as um he's as important as um the lettuce on the side of your steak. Yeah, my show, but like. It's our favourite buzzword, our favourite type of situation. It's been one that's been made personal. We've not had a personal situation in a while. But I, I totally get what you're, what you're talking about. And it does feel like maybe the 24-7 title thing was really maybe a short-term thing where like we Crash wants to like, stop it and then do the thing at WrestleMania because he doesn't see what's going to happen with the 24-7 rule after Mania. So maybe they wanted to do this battle as a culmination of it and then maybe stop the 24-7 title thing. But we know in hindsight that the 24-7 will carry on until, like, the end of the Hardcore Tales, almost, exception of one week when uh, a certain McMahon has the title, but we'll get to that. I think we, the me and whoever I will choose to be with me, uh, around the SummerSlam uh, 2000. Uh, we get back to Stephanie and Triple H, backstage, we say, like, oh, heels are worried, oh my, I have to wrestle, what am I going to do? And then we get into, speaking of matches being used as angles for WrestleMania, Dean Malenko versus Scotty Jotty for the light heavyweight title. And I got my hopes up far too much for this. You know, the, the fact that there was a double closing within the first minute and a half is already a sign that this is not going to go long. 
Mm. Oh, he goes for the one, but thwarted. Saturn and Grandpa Sexy are brawling the outside, which strikes the ref. Joey gets a small package, and then Eddie Guerrero, just with the lightest tap with his finger, just basically could just roll over Dean on top of Scotty Tahoe, and somehow Scotty is powerless to get out of this move now when he was the one who set up the small package in the first place. And uh, Team Malenko retains, and then again, one of the more pointless matches, the most pointless match, I think, of the time, sure. You, um, so fir- so the first words I wrote um, in regards to this match was, oh, lucky us, we get to see the light heavyweight championship and the women's championship on the same show. Um, considering like how we've been mentioned as we go along that we only ever seem to get one or the other and they've been making it more prominent. Um, you're hoping to yourself that this is an example of where the women's championship and the light heavyweight championship are both started to become important. They're both being given a bit of notice. Um, Dean Malenko and Grandmaster Sexay got a relatively good amount of time when they had their match, which is ridiculous considering that Scotty is a much better performer than Grandmaster. Um, and you'd <laughs> it, all the all, the pacing of this match isn't wasn't bad. Um, it just it feels like a sample session as opposed to a proper meal. Feels like you're getting hints um, and the possibility of what could happen. You end up thinking to yourself, you you'd love to see these two being given a proper amount of time to wrestle. Um, it's amazing that Scotty can succeed at doing the worm, but an inside cradle discombobulates him long enough that Malenko could have gotten a 10 count, let alone a free count. Um, it's, is not, it's a weak finish, um, that doesn't make either man look that great. I don't think. And the problem is, is that it doesn't, it doesn't really build to anything. It, this is the go home show when the light heavyweight champion isn't having a match defending the title going into WrestleMania. This is pretty much the equivalent of his WrestleMania title defense. And when he goes into WrestleMania, he's just going to be an also ran in another match. And, you, if it to some degrees it felt like this match was just ticking a box to get an extra match on, and they thought, oh, why we're doing that? Why don't we have we need we haven't got a two core member and we haven't got a radicals member? Why don't we put them together? And it's very similar to the Eddie versus Chris Jericho match, where all I can think is that there was this potential to do some really good work in it, and you didn't really do anything with it. Yeah, because like Scotty, Scotty and Dean will have matches after WrestleMania for the light heavyweight title, which would be much better, which is why I got myself all worked up with it. I'm just done with the, uh, any combination of two kill v the Radicals to get excited about those future matches, or even the match at WrestleMania with China involved. And then it's like they had the match No Way Out, there's been all sorts of going in tag matches, six-man tag matches, singles matches, this one and the one against uh, Grandmaster Sexy the other week. I'm just kind of done with this conversation. The only reason they did this match is because we can't do any type of tag team match between these two teams because that's literally the match we're trying to build towards at WrestleMania. So out of all of them, it's the biggest waste of time, which is sad to say, given the talent involved in it. But, you know, a further kick in the balls of what was a good episode of SmackDown up until this point, uh, we got the trifecta of GTV segments with me Young basically shoving her way into Balvinus' room, trying to sleep with him so to help the cat. And then Val basically just stops her 
and basically tells her, like, if you dare take off your shirt, you're going to ruin any chances your girl has of running that match at WrestleMania. He forces Mae Young to get out. And weirdly, uh, Val cuts a better promo on Mae Young than pretty much any other promo he's cut in his entire career. It's amazing how the moment you say a promo with actual emotion, it's a million times better than cringy one-liners. Like, I'm not gonna lie. There's a couple of Val Venus's one uh, one-liner sexual innuendos I've loved. Like, I I still have it that I'll quote when he said that he um, the foul basically uh, is just like a Rubik's cube. The longer you play with it, the harder it gets. Um, to me, I still think that is a fucking inspired line, and it's probably took him about three months to come up with that one, and he never really bettered it. But in this moment of having a go at Fab- uh, Mueller, uh, no, uh, Mae Young, sorry, is the most real and passionate he's gotten. And you just think, where is that guy? Where is that guy that could have done something? Because in, in 99, before Jericho and Kurt Angle and the Radicals come in, he was he could have gotten into the main event scene because he was in the Intercontinental title scene and relatively successful at it, and he had his feud with The Rock, and it went nowhere. And that was his opportunity, and it got missed. And I think it's really indicative of what a missed opportunity it is, that the previous year, he was wrestling for the Intercontinental Championship um, at WrestleMania. This year, he's a referee in a cat fight. Uh, this is the most TV time through GTV that he's got. If I can... Months like you got more TV time this one episode of Spatton than in a month of being fucking European champion if you don't count heat, which I don't. And <laughs> apparently, he had some defense on heat, but he wasn't on Raw or Smackdown, and that's what counts in this fucking series. <laughs> and we get the no, not sorry, a year ago, but am I right in saying that without the blockbuster announcement of Stephanie Man, who first ever match, which must clearly be the main event, this would have been what what closed out the go home Smackdown for WrestleMania. T and A versus the Hardy Boys. You fucking gimmick stealer. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking, am I right in saying this? And then I was gonna, I was trying to lead you into your into your thing, and you would further explain it. I'm trying to fucking help you here. <laughs> I'll have this back up from you. <laughs> oh, do you, do, do, it's interesting that this is. You end up having it that this is the seventh match of the night, which is quite a have a big amount of matches for SmackDown. Again, as you said, it was the original main event for the show before Fence's announcement. And it feels especially strange considering that you had a light heavyweight championship match. You had The Rock versus Kurt Angle. You, you've had several relatively good matches that could have legitimately been chosen as a main, as a main event match. And yet the one that they actually supposedly chose is this match. What you would expect to maybe kick off the show. So, in a strange choice of main event, um, it's probably the one time that you're glad that um, Vince made an announcement and gave us a different main event, because um, I don't think this is one that would have gotten people to pay tickets, because obviously everyone would pay to see the woman who created women's wrestling in a main event. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not trying to say disrespectful, but I like the Hardys, I like TNA, I think they're very underrated. Trish involved, I like Trish. But, you know, again, this is the final SmackDown WrestleMania. Yeah, like this is match seven, there'll be eight, including Stephanie's match. So, 
put in context, this is a very wrestling-heavy SmackDown because there are nine matches in total on the main card of WrestleMania in 2000. So this is one match shorter than WrestleMania, which is bizarre. And, you know, TNA was very dominant for the most part, you know. You got gut wrench for everyone from Test. Albert does a his big splash breather. Because all the women wrestlers have their own distinct noises when they... His <laughs> be, best Chugbacker impression every time he tackles someone. Albert does a powerbomb with a bit of elevation where it looks like a bit like a last ride. Uh, they try a move where Test goes on Albert's shoulders with an elbow. I'm clearly one of those like trying out new double team finishes for this newly established side team. I'm sure this one won't be around for long. But then out of nowhere, Matt counters uh, some slam that Test was going for, hits him with a twist of fate, and the Hardys win like legit. Because of everything that had been going on, it was one of those ones like, okay, I'm just, I just sat there like, wait for him to come back, like, okay, when are Edge and Christian okay come out, or is it the Kevin the Dudley's first night? Oh no, the Hardys got a, a, a clean win, which makes me think are they trying to say that maybe the Hardys are the favourite going into it? They're trying to make us think that the Hardys will win the triangle ladder match, but TNA immediately try and get their heat back by beating them up, and then Edge and Christian come out to. Uh, Set up, attack them and set up a set of ladders, which then the Dudleys then push them off, and they just probably push out from under them. And they take a nasty fall. Christmas Bedge, I think, it's the back of his, uh, his lower back off the edge of the ladder. Then the Dudley boys, as the champions, posed on top of the ladder. And this is the segment I was talking about earlier that they'd won their match against Kane and Bikishi. This would have had a lot more, like, this would have resonated a lot more uh, as them making like strong champions going out of WrestleMania. Absolutely, I agree. Um, it's this is um, this is a, this is not only a strange match; it's choice for main event. It's a strange match in total um, because, like you, I like the Hardy Boys, and I have a soft spot for Test and Albert, and I think that their work with Trish is some of their best work. Um, especially as like Test and Albert are very good as a large, physically dominant team, which is quite different compared to the rest of the tag teams they've got at the time. A lot of them are quite small um, in comparison, but it's, it's not the sort of match that you would think would make sense as your main event for your go-home show to the biggest event of the, of this, of the year. Um, I will say that Test and Albert display some really good interplay between them earlier on. It is a little disappointing to think that less than six months previously, Tesh could have been a main eventer because he was involved mm-hmm. with the McMahons, and now he's in a tag team. You basically like when this is this is what my note said. Jeff is pretty much destroyed by TNA, only for Matt to walk in and go, "Nah, enough of that. Twist of fate time." Now, mm-hmm. so we so it's it would make sense if the triple threat match was supposed to be a normal triple threat match where a move could actually get them the victory. So they were put over the twist of fate as being that dangerous that it could be a game changer like that. But that's not important in a ladder match. It's not going to matter at all. So it doesn't make sense in that situation. Now, while I'm happy um, that the Hardy boys win in the lead into WrestleMania, you then have it. I'm surprised to see that the newly debuted Test and Albert have lost so quickly and suddenly, and to some degrees, you would say decisively, because it wasn't like a shock victory. It was like one of them got twistified and then they couldn't get back up again. Um, they then try to get their heat back, which doesn't go tremendously. Um, and 
just like you, the fall that Edging Christian took, I thought looked really bad. Like Bubba basically had little regard for their safety. And that was quite a worrying moment, actually, because Edge and Christian both looked like they almost landed on the ladders themselves. And that was quite worrying. So that the, the booking of all three teams have been weird. This match, um, the, uh, the, the setup for the match at WrestleMania has been quite strange. And then you have a possibility that one of them has been injured. So overall, it's a very strange one. And, I, I don't know how to respond to it, um, to be honest. Uh, I, I do think with this, as a case of like Edge Grisham, we're just expecting them to just push it over normally, and then just the others like, ah, oh, fuck it, and just shoved it, and they weren't expecting it, and they didn't know how to fall. I think the whole purpose of them, but getting pushed off, was to explain first was to showcase how dangerous the ladders could be and like the ladder match. And so we go from that to Trish back. He's given some feedback to TNA, like, well, it was good, but, you know, so we didn't get the one there, but we also got WrestleMania, and that's when they're jumped by head cheese. It's almost a shining light for Sam right before the main event. <laughs> and then they both walk over to... Uh, they walk over to Trish, which is weird because they came in behind TNA, so it was their second door, because they're walking past her to leave. Uh, it's mainly so that uh, see Bam can look at Trish up and then go, damn. And walk away, stealing Ron Simmons' future catchphrase. Do you know what? I'm going to say it. I think Steve Blackman had the line of the night. Like, <laughs> you have it, head cheese hasn't appeared, which obviously I'm emotionally distraught over because they're my boys and I love them. Um, you see them appear out of nowhere, bringing back that hardcore element of their... <laughs> of their of their backgrounds and that they use the candlesticks and that sort of thing. And then um, just instantly, I love the fact that Trish to some degrees doesn't act scared because she, she feels like she's got that safety that nobody's going to attack her. Cause she's a woman, which, um, which makes sense within the po- within the character black blackman. You've already seen at this point, he will attack a cow with candles with um, freaking Non, uh, non-chops and that sort of thing. Like you're thinking, what is he going to do here? And it's the fact that he just goes, "You, damn," and just walks <laughs> away. And he had that moment had more character than anyone expected out of Steve Blackman, and I fucking loved that. I have to admit, Al Snow didn't say anything. Trish didn't say anything. That moment was pure Steve Black. I like to think that he had lived that, and they just went with it because. You can imagine he had actual lines he was supposed to say. He just went, you, damn. And he just walks away. And I was just like, Batman, you are my boy. I fucking love you. So mm. I think that's the highlight of the show. You know, I don't, I don't feel we can really beat this now. So I think that this is the perfect time to end the show. And we can just talk about what we recommend and prepare for WrestleMania. What no, do you say? No, no, no. That's not how we do it, We do Unlike that, I do not run away from my problems or I don't hide them with alcohol. Excuse me a moment. Oh. Do you hide it with cocaine night. instead? Is that what you just snorted to get through this? Talk about line of the night. <laughs> good for the soul. <laughs> oh, God. The only thing that's going to be good for the soul is actually nothing that we're about to watch is going to be good for the soul. So, Steffi comes out with her, a white t-shirt with her randomly her initials Definitely make my helm play on it. Which took me longer to realise that's what that was. And then she comes out with Triple H. 
just a random teacher. <laughs> just like, come on, this is this is the moment where Stephanie McMahon Helmsley creates the women's revolution. Of course, she's going to have marketing already preparing a t-shirt for her. I'm surprised she hasn't got a freaking hat, um, bell bottoms, and a bloody um, t-shirt gun to shoot them out into the audience that says, "I created women's wrestling." This is she's been planning for this for her entire life. We just didn't realize it yet. I was just expecting her to turn around on the back of the t-shirt to say that that quote, philanthropy is the future of marketing, right on the back of the t-shirt. But she comes out, Triple H's music, a fucking course. And, you know, this is the well Stephanie doesn't have a good theme song that I can use to end this show because I wouldn't say play, out, play us out later on because like, she's never had a good theme song. She's come out of Triple H's crappy fucking theme here. She has that all grown up, which is maybe a face. And then that fucking, that, the queendom. Like, what even is that shit? So, Stephanie's never had a good theme song. So, because Stephanie, Jacqueline comes out, gets a decent call because people are expecting her to beat the shit out of Stephanie. They're also in Texas. I think they're in San Antonio for this. So, they say they're from the great state of Texas, which always confuses me. Like, no matter whether they're in Texas, they say, this person's from Texas. What about just not here? Just forget about it. They're from Texas. They're relatively close to here. Texas, one big state. Everybody knows everybody. And... Stephanie immediately goes to the outside, you know, try and like create some separation, and then out comes the X. They get their music played. Uh, Road Dog, Tory, Xbox all come out. They all uh, try and distract Jackie. You know, Road Dog grabs their leg at one point and wrists back, and then Stephanie's still on the outside. The refs are trying to try and get Stephanie back in the ring. Tory comes in, hits Jackie with a DDT, which lays Jackie out for a ridiculous amount of time. So I think they're trying to tell us that Tory has a better DDT than fucking Jake Roberts. <laughs> So Stephanie uh, cautiously gets back in the ring, covers Jackie, one, two, three, and in the beginning, there was nothing in terms of women's wrestling. And then Tony Chimmel said, and your new WWF Women's Champion, Stephanie McMahon Helmsley, and then women's wrestling as we know it was birthed into the world. Stephanie looks so pleased with herself, she's lifted up on her on the shoulders of BX, he's celebrating. And what's shocking about this is Stephanie's going to defend the title a grand total of one time, and yet in the, I think she calls it close to six, five or six months. And weirdly, this is the most prominent the WIF women's title will be for some time before this or after it. <sighs> okay. Um... <laughs> Right. Deep breath, pal. Deep breath. Goose flower. Goose flower. Okay, right. I actually remember this match live. I actually remember watching this match when it first happened. Now, when Jackie comes out, something that I noticed um, was, if you think about it, every other segment and every other match um, so far, has had it that the announcers would mention a match that was going to happen at WrestleMania. Uh, like when Kane and Rikishi come out, they mentioned they're going to face against uh, World Dog and X-Pac. You have it that the uh, um, Hardy Boys come out and they say, oh, they're going to be facing so-and-so, and etc. This is the only time that someone comes out and a match isn't, isn't mentioned for wrestlemania they don't mention it's going to be a women's title match announced for wrestlemania which is which should have been like the hint um really um unfortunately um 
I know I, you even have it that it doesn't get off to a great start because Jackie can almost barely get in the ring. She's so sure. I'm pretty sure that there was actually a little trampoline that she would jump on in order <laughs> to get into the fucking ring. Um, there, I will say there was a positive and it pains me to say this, but it is going to be a positive. I'm going to say it because I have to give credit. It is so refreshing to see Stephanie actually afraid of someone mm-hmm. as opposed to the present day where she is the toughest, most protected individual in the fucking world. I think Jesus has a better chance of getting beaten up than she does. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, Thanos puts over more people than she does. Um, her, sla- her slap wipes out 75% of the population as opposed to 50. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, you've got it that in the, you've got it that X-Pac and Toya interfering in order to help Stephanie win the title and you can't see it but you can easily imagine i'm putting big quotation marks on that with my fingers in the most ridiculous moment of that you have it that tory is struggling to even get in the ring so you have it that you have the women's champion jackie can barely get in the ring because she's so freaking short you've got it that tory has to shuffle across in the ring which takes her ages because if she moves too quickly she's gonna fall over because she's got fucking high heels the the size of andre the giant which is absolutely ridiculous and then she wipes her out with a ddt that i'm pretty sure how was more powerful than as you said, Jake the Snake Roberts' DDT is probably more powerful than Undertaker's Tombstone. It's probably more powerful than Big Show's uh, Weapon of Mass Destruction. I feel that Jackie would have kicked out more likely if you were a freaking chair, because that DDT seems, DDT seems so goddamn strong. So you have it that you, you, you have it that Stephanie's been booked into a match that is supposedly going to be an opportunity for her to be punished for the actions she's done. You have it that later on, it's suddenly announced that the women's championship is going to be on the line. You've already had it that no match has been booked for WrestleMania for the women's title. Um, all these different things are coming together to create like more context to the story, which helps make it make sense. But you still have it that the end product is Stephanie McMahon, a non-wrestler, has pinned the women's champion in order, to, in order to gain the title. And you are correct in that you say this probably makes it more prominent than any other time. Because the thing is, it means to some degrees I understand this decision, which upsets me. Because when you have Triple H with the WWF World Heavyweight Championship in 17 fucking segments a night, and you're going to have his wife next to him, all 17 of them, holding the women's championship. You are putting appearance on it. You're making it seem like it is worthwhile. But the, but the disappointing part is that, yes, you're bringing attention to the women's championship by having it appear in these major segments on a regular basis. But you're doing fuck all with it. It's like carrying around the Andre the Giant Battle Royal fucking trophy. Yeah, you want it, but you're doing fuck all with it. You know, you, your, be, your, best, uh, your best claim to fame is that you got Rob Gronsky as your best fucking mate. You know, it's, you don't actually get a championship match out of it or anything like that. You don't actually gain anything. And that's where they, they almost, they shorten the championship by, ha- by giving it to someone who's a non-wrestler because they think that they can put it in the, in the, in the public eye by having it appear regularly, but not actually doing anything with it. It's probably more damaging than when David Arquette won the WCW fucking title. And it's just, there were so many 
decisions and ideas in this in this match that it just bamboozles and boggles the mind to some degrees that it came to it. And I think the only real positive, really, is the fact that this wasn't on fucking WrestleMania. The fact that they did it on SmackDown. In, oh, God. Like, I, I don't want to. And this is just... This is... I, I watched this live as a as a 10-year-old child. And at the time, autistic and not understanding the world around them and, and that sort of thing, even I thought then, this is bullshit. I've had it over the years since. I thought it's bullshit. I've gotten to 31 watching this in a re in a retro review, and I still think it's bullshit. And it it's worrying that when Shane McMahon winning the European Tag Team or Hardcore Championship, or fucking hell, Vince McMahon winning the WWF Championship has more legitimacy than what they've just done with this women's championship. Yeah. I've had tapes from like 2000 and I've watched as a kid with all context of the time and seeing Stephanie come out with Triple H holding the, the women's title. And I was thinking about like, Stephanie won the women's title because I never thought of her as a wrestler because she wasn't wrestling when I was watching. So, as is there, and I never got to see until, until now how she actually won the title. And like, it would have made more sense if you had like, so X Fox come in, or the X Factor, or like Road Dog, there was like a pump handle slam. Like, that would have made more sense that that kept her down. But like Tori has never been known that much of a wrestling. She's had matches before, but she's never been that good. She's not got a. You know, the DDTs and belt off start signature maneuver. Or like, or even like just have one of them come in and hit her with the women's title. That would have made more sense. But just this random DDT, which they said that looked like she was struggling to even get in the ring to hit. Like, just the fact that kept Jackie down. It was, it's one of those trends in the women's division that goes on and it gets even worse during the Divas there of the simplest moves keeping women down. Like, you see, like, women's survivor series matches, women would come and hit, not even a signature move, just a, a standard wrestling move. Oh, that's so and so down, that's so and so eliminated. Or, like, like in Battle Royals, where you can get eliminated by being thrown up through the middle rope and get eliminated. Just, there's a it's strange that this is going to be like the most prominent thing. I know you're trying to get heat for Stephanie, you know, and more powerful that Man Helmsley regime going into WrestleMania, like boo them and hopefully get come up and finally like the biggest show of the year. But Stephanie holds that title for quite a while and it does get into the wrong type of heat territory after a while. And you know, think, surely that's not going to be the closing shot of the show. No, because then randomly they have like just people coming down, like the big show comes down, the rock comes down, and everybody. Fully, oh, I, I forgot Big Flash does come back. I forgot. And then just, honestly, anybody who's on the card at WrestleMania, which at this stage is almost the entire fucking roster, except for any other woman other than the cat, Teddy, or Bade, Stephanie. So, you know, sorry, Jackie or Ivory, you're not on the card. Or Lita. Or fucking S, poor S.A. Rios is fucked off. He's not a woman, but he's somebody who probably should be featured on the card. So, just literally, everybody who's anybody's in, in the ring. Until eventually Rock, Big Show, and Foley are left standing, and then he cuts to the ramp where Triple H and Stephanie hold up their titles, big stare down. Rock kind of looks at Foley when he sees him with that barbed back, which he doesn't hit anybody because he looks like he's coming down, but maybe he was a bit late. But by the time he gets the ring, he looks down and he like 
there's actually nobody here that I can actually hit with a barbed wire bat, so I'm just going to stand here awkwardly holding this. And they have this awkward turn where they both bump backs and rock turns where they that Big Floyd was going to hit him with that barbed wire bat. So there's some tension between the two faces going to the main event of WrestleMania. And that's your lot. That's your go-home show for WrestleMania. And Sam, I know you're going to try to question my credibility as opposed to the show. Despite the, the, the completely throwaway, like everybody tell me, despite overuse of McMahon's and Triple H and Stephanie and everything, which I've come to expect already at this point, despite the weird decision to have Stephanie McMahon, a non-wrestler, win the women's title in such a weird fashion, as a show overall, I'm giving this a thumbs up. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, right. Um, okay. This may surprise you. I'm not going to give it a thumbs up, but I am going to go for a thumbs in the middle. And I'm going to explain why. The first thing is is that unfortunately for the second week in a row, it feels like the majority of the matches are purely for storyline purposes with very little in-ring quality, which it, which unfortunately is too much of an issue for me to look past. The only really good match, and it's the match that I would recommend, I can already tell you that, is Kurt Angle and The Rock. The problem is, is that the rest of them are very forgettable. Not awful. I would not say they're awful. They're just forgettable. You're not going to have it in six months' time. You're going to go, oh, man. (sighs) Tell you what, that Tester Nalbert versus Hardy Boys match, I just, that sticks in my fucking memory, that does, mate. That does. Um, You know, it's it's not going to happen. The rest are very forgettable. Except for the worst match of the night, which ironically is the most remembered, and we know that match. Match we've just discussed it. It's it's a match that achieves its aims in being memorable, but for all the wrong reasons. It feels like it's depressing to some degrees when you see the effort and the work that wrestlers like Ivory and Jackie have tried to put in to give it some sort of legitimacy. Like I know you're quite fond of Ivory in 99 and you think she's quite underrated for the amount of work she tried to do to make the women's championship matter. And we've said it before that it, it's almost disappointing to think that if these women were actually wrestling in the modern day, they may not be the main eventers, but they, they would be looked after a lot better. Um, and seeing how that title was treated as a pure gimmick to give to a McMahon is very disappointing. There's too many short matches with very sudden or flat finishes, and there's a lot of run-ins and attacks. It's a case of if they had to decide between a worthwhile match that you'd want to watch again or a storyline which gets everything moving, but you're not going to really want to go back and watch it, you're going to go for the run-in, the attacks, and the storyline, etc. Now, as a show, this does what it needed to. It promoted as much of WrestleMania 2000 as possible. I mean, it does fucking help that you have the entire fucking roster appear in a schnoz fight at the end of it for 
the most con like most ridiculous reasons possible. Like so you have it that Kane and Rikishi come for DX, which makes sense. And then you have it that the Dudley boys who had the match with Kane and Rikishi early on, so they come out to save DX, even though they have no emotional connection to them. And because they come out to save them, you then have the Hardy boys come in and then you have Edging Christian and then you have the radicals and then Jericho decides to get involved and Kurt Angle can't help it. And Too Cool and the Hollies and the Headbangers and Kyantai and Mean Street Posse. You have all these wrestlers come in for nonsensical reason because the script dictates it and it is a pointless exercise that doesn't actually achieve anything as a show it promotes wrestlemania 2000 as much as possible and it does that job very well it doesn't necessarily mean it was a great episode i'm gonna stick with thumbs in the middle because for me when it's good it's good Kurt Angle versus Rock is too good of a match, I feel, for us to turn around and give it a thumbs down. And I think several of the segments are very good. And some of the build-up, especially, like Foley's promo, Vince's promos, the connection um, with the crowd doing these are too good to really say it's a thumbs down because these are highlights. But the lows are very very fucking low it's like so so basically it's a case of if i have something that's 90 out of 100 and something that's 10 out of 100 the fairest thing i can do is put my thumb in the middle so in that situation i understand you saying why you give it a thumbs up because there's a lot of positives but i do feel unfortunately the negatives are too strong to allow a proper thumbs up which is why I'll go for thumbs in the middle. Yeah, it's definitely one of those when it's bad, it's, it's bad, but when it's good, it's really good, I think. Because, like, yeah, you got the rock angle, you got the hardcore title stuff, you got Foley and Vince with the excellent promo to start off the show. You get the entry, the wheels turning, all the stuff that builds to WrestleMania. This is a, a show where I said the sentence, this was Val Venus's best promo. Any show... That makes me feel that sense. It produces that good of a promo from Val fucking Venus, of all people. Needs a thumbs up, in my opinion. If I was a fan watching the WF here in 2000 live at the peak of everything, a peak of my fandom, a lot of the stuff, while there'd be a lot of was in, something would be frustrating, like Stephanie winning the title. But it would get me excited to see the investigate come and hope to see Triple H with his title at WrestleMania. This would be what I enjoy. This would be what I would be looking for in my wrestling, the complete insanity of it, the unpredictability of it, going into WrestleMania. If I had to recommend anything, I also would say, like, the angle versus the rock, but if I had to be different from you, I'd say either the opening promo from Vince took coming from Vince's announcement onwards, because that's when it actually gets good, mm-hmm. or anything involving Crash Hall and the hardcore title, just any of that. There is some cool, there's, it's one of those episodes, again, that has multiple examples of things I can look for in order to like recommend and which is usually what always goes through my rating with a thumbs up because if something's bad and I can answer and even find one example that's usually when I give a thumbs down so there's my process mm-hmm. I'm trying to think there's multiple things I can look for throughout the show that I would recommend to check out I'm struggling to choose between them yeah I get that completely and I think um, I do like the fact that the hardcore division is demonstrating how beneficial it is because 
you you mentioned that it's a highlight and it is and it is predominantly because of crash because he's get, get got given this opportunity and he's ran with it and he's really added to everything he's involved in because he's he's got this 24/7 championship rule it it gives a sense of anything can happen and that's i feel that the thing you want in wrestling is that when you're watching it you want to feel that anything can happen but it makes sense that it happens. And the hardcore division, I feel, really epitomizes it at the moment in that literally anything can happen in those matches, but it makes sense why it does. And I think this is the sort of show that when it comes to whether or not you recommend it, it's quite dependable, I think, on what it is that drives you to a, drives you to a show. For me... I don't feel there's enough tremendous matches on here that I would want to give it a thumbs up. I'm always going to lean towards that. The storylines are slightly secondary to me and that I want to have it that the more good matches there are, the more likely I'm to recommend it. Cause I feel that you then get rewarded for watching it. And it's possible that you're looking at everything as a faux picture saying, right, this is a positive, this is a positive, this is a positive, these segments, these promos, etc. And that's because you're, you you enjoyed the, the full picture. Um, so it depends. I think this might be one of those shows, I think, that it's very difficult to say for definite whether it's good, bad, or medium because it is one of those shows that it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a show that is selling the next pay-per-view you watch, I would, I would have to admit I'd be leaning towards a thumbs up. But for me, the matches are too vital and too important to look past as to whether or not they're worthwhile. And unfortunately, the only one I feel I would need to sit down and watch would be Angle versus Rock. The others are either forgettable, passable, or an abomination. And that's where the issue becomes for me. So I think... If you lean towards the entertainment side, this is a good episode. If you lead to lend, lead towards the sports side, if you if you lean towards the later day SmackDown episodes of two thousand and three onwards, you would not want to watch this episode. For me, I feel. Yeah, I totally get it because I grew up watching like those later day SmackDowns, and usually I wouldn't favour entertainment over wrestling. But this is one of those occasions. You know, it's two thousand lean into. It's like angle. This is the show to sell you on WrestleMania. So that was my kind of process behind it. But people don't really care about what we'd recommend or what our ratings are, or even what our plugs are about to be in a, in a few minutes. What they really want to know is getting to WrestleMania. Got to say, Scott, it's been five weeks of you having someone. What is the decision? What is the moment of truth in terms of Sam's status as your co-host? Because you're right. I've been kind of leading Sam along for five weeks. Like mm. that girl you went to uni with who said she'd maybe go out with you, but not right now. And I hope you treated me better than her, because at <laughs> least you hugged me afterwards. <laughs> I was actually saying that the girl was using me instead of her, so I'm the girl in this situation. <laughs> well, I don't even have time to explain the metaphor. It's always better when you had to explain them. <laughs> but, you know, in five weeks, I wanted to make the decision right before WrestleMania. This is our go home selling angle before our WrestleMania review. So this is basically, you know, our hot go home angle once like Madden had theirs. So after five weeks of listening to your love of Steve Blackman and among other things that we both enjoy and don't uh, have that we both have in common and don't have in common in terms of what we enjoy about this show, 
the decision has been made. Samuel Preston, to paraphrase Vince McMahon, you're hired. <laughs> Excuse me, yeah. why I do like a Steve Blackman shuffle and just be like, yeah, I've got it. So excellent. Right. I just like take this moment to say I really appreciate it. And I think I'm going to retire on top and I'm going to walk away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I'm really, I have to admit, I'm, I'm watching these retros. I'm really enjoying the nostalgia that I'm gaining from it. And I'm actually excited for WrestleMania to some degrees. I know that it's probably mostly going to disappoint me, but I'm actually walking in hopeful. And I want and now that I have so much context to it, I'm hoping that the matches will be more appreciated here for me. So I am very curious and very excited and I can't believe I'm saying that I actually want to watch a McMahon in every corner. <laughs> and I'm not sure whether to thank you or to fucking curse you. <laughs> Good, you gonna say, like, you've went through these last five weeks and your reward for now being my new co-host is you know you have to watch WrestleMania 2000, which some people would argue is definitely not a reward, but you know it depends on your perspective. And like you said, how the context is now going into it with having watched the five weeks that have built up to it. So... It's official now, man, you know. Welcome to the Rogue Opinions team. And next time you hear our lovely voices, we'll be in a review that I hope doesn't have to be split into too many parts, if any parts at all, as our WrestleMania 2 interview, along with the other latest member of the Rogue Opinions team, Rian. You may remember from the Hallway Graps podcast. I've been on his show. He's been on this review before last time he was on. He was on for No Way Out. And, God, those five weeks, so much has already changed that that poor boy is going to not know what the fuck's going on going that into this, and we're going to have to explain that to the poor boy. But um, I will let you go first as the new co-host of the Retro SmackDown Review and the newest member of Rogue Opinions. Please indulge the people with your plugs. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. I, Samuel Preston, can be featured on multiple websites. The first one you'll probably want to go to is going to be known as Cultured Vultures, at what point I am currently focusing on film, television, and wrestling, and I'm currently writing pieces on Andrade Cien Almas's best matches of WWE as we are emotionally now gotten over the fact that he's left. Um... I am not going to write about Samoa Joe's because I'm too emotionally compromised to do so. And because Scott probably wants to do that and I can't nick another one off him. Um, we will... someone else is already nicked there, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also currently writing a piece on the best matches of Backlash, which feels very suitable considering that we are going to be preparing for that after WrestleMania. So I'm, I'm getting the opportunity to recommend a match in the lead up to actually reviewing the entire event, which I think is fantastic. Um, apart from that, you can also see me feature on wrestle joy, at which point I'm still continuing my series on CM punks, uh, tremendous, uh, 
ti- um, title reign as WWE champion. The latest one that came out was regarding his feud with Chris Jericho. Uh, we already know that that got retweeted by him and that Scott ruined that for me. So it's taken me a while to get around to another episode because I don't want him to ruin it for me. But I can be found on WrestleJoy. And those are the two most prominent ones I'm currently featuring on. I'm pretty sure there might be more because who knows? Now that Rogue Opinions has its hooks inside of me, who knows what they could claw me to do? You know, you know, if you're a part of Rogue Opinions, you need to get used to a bit of Jericho bashing on this show. You know, when they know one of the first inductees, one of the main inductees in our big time in Fox Hall of Fame. And alongside such contemporaries as Al Snow, who's also reaching us, I, I end up in the Big Time Fox Hall of Fame for very personal reasons. But that aside, make sure you follow the podcast at Rogue underscore Opinions. Sam can be found at uh, Big Bad or Bruce. I believe that's where you can be found. That it is, boy. Oh, bravo, Indigo Golf. Bravo, Alpha, Delta, Alpha. Bravo, Romeo, Uniform, Charlie, and Echo! <laughs> uh, you find me at Scott Buffett in 1996. Check out past episodes of Rogue Retro's Matter Review with Sam and many other people who have joined me in the past as we head forward in this new chapter, this new journey of this review. Check out the Mandalorian podcast with me and Carl. This episode went up recently with episode 6 of season 1, The Prisoner, uh, an episode featuring the debut of uh, Bill Burr's character Mayfeld, a really good character, I think, of the the Mandalorian series. There was Banter Munich, where I'm sure they'll be talking about this at European Super League, which I know nothing about. Uh, me and Nathan have some stuff planned uh, going forward. There's uh, reviews of Mania and standing in over with me and Carl. And you can find me, uh, stuff over at Scott and Bull's Round Podcast. We're trying to get an Impact Wrestling pod out before Rebellion this week. But, you know, at time recording, Paul's uh, having some dental work done, so he's currently unavailable. Uh, Eat Sleep Super Play Retreat also this Sunday, the same day you're hearing this. Uh, two big things are coming out for me from there where it says the latest episode of East Meets West, me and my friend Grant's podcast, everything going on in Japan, where we talk about the possibility of these rumoured uh, CM Punk versus Will Ospreay match. If Punk decides in a few months that he wants to consider getting back in the ring, we talk about it longer than it probably needs to be talked about. And also on our YouTube channel, Quiz Showdown 10, Paper Snow, A Ghost. Uh, hosted by the evil mastermind known as Sarah Grieve in this pop culture not at all about wrestling quiz, which even though Chris one is usually about wrestling, it's a weird series, it's quiz showdown and you should definitely check that out and just tune it back in with you keep up with everything that Rogue Opinions has got going to, you have articles Rogue Opinions, 20R WordPress uh, website, also the articles mainly Greeks of Carl and Anthony uh, putting those up, usually reportedly I've got a smack related one and hopefully in the future you'll hear me talking about some new ones that I've been sitting on for far, far too long. But, you know, Sam, there's only one thing to do as we head into WrestleMania 2000, and that is... Point to the sign! That's actually the corner of my kitchen, so I should probably move my finger. But I'm pointing towards the sign! To my Christmas tree on top of my wardrobe, but to me it's a WrestleMania sign. Yes, yes, because it only comes out for three months at a time, and then everyone forgets about it. There's pyro all coming out of it, and for some reason, uh, that may be the spurt for my Guinness. I do apologise. <laughs> yeah. Goodbye, everybody. 
Goodbye. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Smell it. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Smell it. Come on. Come on. Do you smell what the yeah. rock is cooking? Yeah, finally the rock has come back Laying down the smack on you monkey crap Candy coated axe Enter the squared circle with the great one The most electrifying moves Don't touch the station Children and their children They all chant with the millions upon millions of rock fans Get ready for the square dance Here's your chance for a can of ass whooping From the people's champ If you smell what the rock's cooking you smell what the rock's cooking If you smell what the rock's cooking do you smell what the rock is cooking? If you smell what the rock's cooking, smell what the rock's cooking. If you smell what the rock's cooking, do you smell what the rock is cooking? Jabroni, check yourself, you don't know me. Jabroni, go back to the gym, you're too bony. Uh, so you want a piece of the rock, make it crumble. In these WrestleManias, kid, we royal rumble. Telling us that war is war. What the hell you think we came for? To play with these whips and chainsaws and sharp glass? I shine them up real nice, turn them sideways, and shove them up your candy ass. If you smell what the rock's cooking. smell what the rock's cooking. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? If you smell what the rock's cooking, smell what the rock's cooking. If you smell what the rock's cooking, do you smell what the rock yeah, is cooking? Yeah. This is it, y'all. Summer Slam, Son of Sam Bow. It's Thursday night SmackDown. There's no way out. Now you got a problem with the Brahma Ball. Time to fill the rock bottom. Huh. Ain't no way to shout. See the people's eyebrow ignite the crowd into a fitting frenzy. They want blood now. Chin locked and chair shot. Suplexes, leg drop. Finish with the people's elbow with shining rock. If you smell what the rock's cooking. Smell what the rock's cooking.